Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Our reading this morning is from Isaiah chapter 40, starting at verse 12, and can be found on page 725 in the Church Bibles. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket, or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord, or instruct the Lord as his counsellor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him, and who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge, or showed him the path of understanding? Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales." He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires, nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. Before him, all the nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. With whom, then, will you compare God? To what image will you liken him? As for an idol, a metal worker casts it, And a goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions silver chains for it. A person too poor to present such an offering selects wood that will not rot. They look for a skilled worker to set up an idol that will not topple. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. To whom will you compare me, or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, Not one of them is missing. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by my God? Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. This is the word of the Lord.
Thank you, Ian. Good morning, everyone. It's very good to see you here this morning. We're looking at Isaiah 40, that wonderful reading. If you can, keep your Bibles open. It's on page 725. Let me pray. Father, we ask this morning that you would come and sustain weary hearts, lift up feeble lives, energize us, we pray, Father, with the wonderful news of your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. My God is so great, so strong, and so mighty, there is nothing my God cannot do. It's a song we've just been singing with our children before they headed off to their groups. It's a good song, but as we grow up into adult life, as we experience more of life and we go through life, I wonder how many of us have doubted that those words are true. Maybe it's our friends from university days. As we go through life, we have tried to put our trust in the God of the Bible, whereas they have put their trust in the gods of career and money and success. And now, some decades on, they live in a bigger house and they drive a nicer car and they go on better holidays, and if we're honest, we're envious. Maybe it's unanswered prayer for ourselves, for someone we love. And over the years, we've prayed and prayed to the God of heaven, and nothing has changed. And we've wondered. We haven't talked about it as much from the front recently, but maybe it's covid I know many of us are still living with the impact of COVID, whether through long COVID or simply the after effects of the trauma of those lockdowns. Or if it's not COVID, it's some other suffering or or trial. These things can make us wonder. Maybe it's simply living in a country where the name of God is mocked by the people around us. Our culture doesn't just push away from God's word increasingly it's seen as being immoral and something to be challenged and that's hard I mentioned last week how the reality is the church in this country is in decline up and down the country there are hundreds of churches where people love the Lord they love his word they love people there's much good being done hard work wherever you look and yet the decline feels relentless And so for lots of reasons, I wouldn't be surprised if for many of us this morning, we felt a certain disconnect in our hearts as we sang, wondering, is God really so great? There is nothing he cannot do. I don't mind saying in my own heart over the last few years, at some points that I felt particularly hard, there's a little niggling voice in my mind saying, is God really big enough to sort this out? As we turn to Isaiah 40, uh, we saw last week how the Babylonian Empire was about to come and carry off the people of God into exile. Just imagine, if you can, what's about to come to the people. Their homes destroyed, their families torn apart, being taken on that 800-mile journey around the desert to the city of Babylon. Imagine trudging into the mighty city, defeated, looking up at the statues, the idols of the gods of Babylon, the people of Babylon crying out in praise and glory to their gods. Their gods had won. 
Imagine the despondency in the hearts of the people. And yet the message of Isaiah 40 is one of great comfort. Last week we saw God's heart. Despite the sin of the people, he still loves them and he will forgive them. And this week we see God's majesty. The foreign gods have not won. They cannot win. The Lord has more than enough power to defeat them and anything else in this world that causes us pain and distress. The verses before us this morning, they are not here to simply fill our minds with amazing facts and figures about our awesome God. No, they are here to reassure weary and despondent hearts that the Lord has what it takes to rescue us and to keep us. Two points this morning. The first, the Lord is supreme. What follows from verse 12 onwards takes the form of a disputation. God summons humanity to come and answer a series of questions. And so verse 12, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? And of course, no human has. Who could hold the oceans in the palm of their hand? It's a, a ridiculous question, humanly speaking. Or what about the heavens? The James Webb telescope was launched a couple of years ago, and it's been taking these amazing pictures of our universe ever since. I came across one particular picture this week, and imagine taking a grain of sand and holding it at arm's length up against the night sky, the amount of sky blocked by that grain of sand is roughly the amount of sky captured in this, in this particular photograph of the, taken by the telescope. And if you look at the photograph, it's not just that there are lots of stars in it. There are hundreds of galaxies in that one photograph. I don't know how many bits of sand you need to add up to get across the night sky. But the sheer scale of our universe is mind-boggling. With the breadth of my hand, I can measure a pencil or a brick. But with the breadth of God's hand, it's the universe. Of course, God doesn't have a hand. God is spirit. Which is why God can be everywhere all at once. God is not like Santa Claus on Christmas Eve, rushing around trying to be in lots of different places in a very short space of time. No, God is fully present everywhere, always, all at once. And so the language of verse 12, the infinite God is coming down to our human level and speaking to our finite minds to give us some sense of the sheer magnitude of his infinitude. If God did have a hand, it's big enough to measure the universe. And when it comes to the heavens, not only can he measure them with his hands, I came across a website this week that lets you name a star visible from the UK sky. You can name one star for 25 pounds, or for 49 pounds, it's T-stars, which is a great bargain. And for that small sum, you get to have your name entered into a star registry, and you get a gift set to remind you of what you've done, I think Christmas is all sorted for next year. 
The only problem is God has got there first. If you scan forward to verse 26, God has already named all the stars when he made them, calling them out one by one. Back to verse 12 again. Who has held the dust of the earth in a bucket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Again, it's a ridiculous question to ask of any human. We can measure out some flour in the kitchen to make some bread. God can put a mountain on the scales. And in verse 12, shows us God's utter supremacy over creation. Verse 13 shows us his supremacy over all wisdom and knowledge. Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him and who taught him the right way? Parents, have you had the experience of one of your young children coming to you to give you life advice? Even though they may be, what, four, five, six years old and you're 30 years ahead of them in life. You know so much more than them. What about God? He isn't just a bit older than us. He is eternally older than us with eternal life experience. Who here today with our limited experience could come and tell him anything about the world? And more than that, he made everything. Which means that when he made everything, there was no one telling him what to do or how things should work. He has decided all of that. Supreme over wisdom and knowledge. Well, what about the nations? In the course of human history, there have been many mighty and impressive nations, empires, the mighty Babylonians in the days of Isaiah, the Roman Empire, even the British Empire in its day. There are empires in our day today as well. But verse 15, surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. I picture a child at the beach messing around in the sand and the sea, going to the water, picking up a scoop in the bucket, going back to the sandcastle to pour a few drops onto the castle. That's the picture of God holding the nations like a child with a bucket. In verse 17, it's as if there's a lineup against the wall to see who is biggest. Over here, we have the nations in all their might. And then over here, we have the Lord. And when it comes to making that comparison, it's as if the nations are nothing. God does care about the nations. We'll see that again and again in Isaiah. That's not the point here. But it's more... Imagine the next time you go flying and you're at 39,000 feet and you look out the window and you try to look down on the ground to look at an ant crawling around on the earth. That's something of the comparison between us and our infinite God, but even that is an accommodation. And with that comparison in mind, the next question becomes even more absurd. Verse 18, with whom then will you compare God? To what image will you liken him? Humans who are so small as to be vanishingly nothing in the eyes of the infinite God then 
are busy making idols with their hands that they then bow down and worship. And then they play top trumps with the idols they have made alongside the one true God of the universe. And again, it's absurd. What a comfort for the people of Israel as they trudged into Babylon. And they looked around at the statues and the idols of the foreign gods to know that these gods, before the sovereign Lord of all, are nothing. The Lord is supreme. This is not new news. At least it wasn't new news for the people of Israel. And yet look at verse 21. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? We get the same question in verse 28. And the answer is yes. The people of Israel did know these things about the Lord's supremacy. And yet, the issue here seems to be spiritual amnesia, forgetfulness. And actually, I find this strangely encouraging because if and when I do forget the supremacy of the Lord in my life. I'm not the first. And yet, it is worth asking ourselves what things might contribute to our own personal spiritual amnesia. Maybe for us this morning, it is distraction. We go about our daily lives consumed by the mundane every day, the school run, the nine-to-five job, the dog walking, the shopping, the life admin, The short-term pleasures, television, social media. And without really meaning to, we can go for days and days and not actually stop and feast our eyes on the glory of our Supreme Lord. And so he becomes small. Maybe it's just confusion. Perhaps what we have, what is called a big man view of God, where we think, well, yes, God is bigger than us and older than us and wiser than us, absolutely, but he's just a bigger version of us with a bit more power. But here in Isaiah 40, that's not the case. God isn't simply a bigger version of humanity. He is utterly different from us. The distinction between creature and creator is infinite. Or maybe it's other gods. As I've mentioned already, the gods like money and pleasure all around us in the world today, they can be so persuasive. They can offer us such a good life initially, promising us security and safety and happiness. And even though if we know deep down inside they cannot deliver, and yet so often we are sucked in to worship them. Or maybe it is our circumstances. I've mentioned a a declining church, the suffering of poor health, fears about the future, broken dreams, all these things can come at us, making it hard to remember the Supreme Lord. Uh, This week, as I've been sort of meditating on the struggle that I feel in my own heart to keep a big view of the Lord, I've been really helped to think forward to Jesus. In the words of verse 22, yes, God sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, 
And yet in Jesus, he has come down to live among the grasshoppers. When John begins his gospel, he says, no one has seen God. And yet, the one and only Son, who is himself God, has made him known. And so if we're struggling to to visualize the supreme Lord who is there but yet unseen, think of Jesus. Picture that moment on the Sea of Galilee when the storm whips up and his disciples are terrified of the wind and the waves, fearful even of death, of life itself. And when Jesus calms the wind and the waves with just a word, the disciples' fear moves away from the wind and waves and they become terrified of Jesus. Because surely in that moment, they are realizing that in the boat with them is the very God of Isaiah 40. The Lord is supreme. How should we respond? Here's our second point. So put your trust in him alone. Even as Isaiah speaks, he anticipates a response from the weary, dejected people. Verse 27, why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by my God? The first part of this complaint is about God's ability. He cannot see. The second part of it is about his heart. He does not care. Either way, can we feel the despondency of a weary people about to face the exile and all the questions they will have about God and his goodness and his presence with them and his power to rescue them? If God is going to allow the exile, why should they trust in him? Very understandable, isn't it? But look at their response. Verse 28. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. What these weary people need most is not a set of particular answers about their particular circumstances with all of God's timings and plans and purposes, but rather what they need most is a fresh revelation of the sovereign God who is keeping them. To look up and see that he is the everlasting creator God with infinite wisdom and he's the one who is looking after them. Even if on the ground they have many, many questions about the particular plan he has. And for us today, when we feel discouraged and weary in our own moment in life, God doesn't promise to give us specific answers to the specific questions we might have about what he's doing. But he does give us here a timeless revelation of his eternal glory such that we might look up and see him and find that in him we can trust him for whatever happens. And on that basis, verse 30, even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. We live in a world that prizes self-reliance, or at least particularly in the Western world. From a young age, many of us will be told that we can do anything or be anything we want if we simply try hard enough. 
So often behind the endeavors of the people around us to have a career and to earn money and to be financially responsible is to get to the point where we are self-sufficient. And so when things do go wrong in our lives, if we have enough money, we can pay our way out of the problem. And because many of us here at Forward have been well-educated, and the Lord has given us gifts and skills that we can hold down good jobs with good pay, and because perhaps we can get things done, and we can organize and we can achieve, I wonder if there'll be a particular danger for us to think that we can fix problems, advance plans in our own strength. And it does seem to me that a kind of self-reliant activist busyness is a problem, not just locally, but across our evangelical worlds. Yet verse 30 is showing us the futility of self-reliance. Youths are a picture of humanity at our most energetic. But even at times, youths reach their limits. Tim Keller, the late Tim Keller, was a pastor in New York City for many years, including during the 9-11 terror attacks and in the aftermath. And he writes about how in those subsequent years, the whole city of New York kind of slumped into a depression. And he talks about how hard it was to be a pastor to people in those years. It was exhausting and demanding. And at that time, just when he was overwhelmed, his wife was diagnosed with Crohn's disease. And she experienced severe symptoms because of that. And just when they thought things couldn't get worse, at the same time, Tim himself was diagnosed with cancer. And he describes at one night his wife Kathy coming to him and saying, if we don't pray together to God, we are not going to make it. I wonder if we've been there in our own lives. It seems to happen that the Lord allows not just one or two or three crises, but a whole mountain of things to build up in our lives that leave us feeling overwhelmed. Have we been there? Are we there this morning? It is often painful, stressful to go through those experiences, just as it would have been for the people of Israel as they faced the exile. And again, many questions aren't answered by God, but we are often shown that he allows us to reach our limits in order that we might stop and see that the way on is in trust in him. Many of you will know that I had a sabbatical uh, last year, and I had the joy of studying these very chapters from Isaiah. And uh, we had one particular week uh, where we were camping up in the highlands of Scotland. And in fact, I couldn't resist one picture for my sabbatical. Here's a picture. Um, there is my desk for the week. Um, I've got Isaiah there in front of me with my little pens scribbling away, um, looking at this view across um, the lock to the Isle of Mull. It was glorious. And a local told us about a white-tailed eagle that sometimes would perch on a rock across that very view. 
And sure enough, we got the binoculars out, and we could see through the binoculars this eagle sat on a rock. A white-tailed eagle, I think it's about the biggest eagle on our shores. Um, when it's perched, it comes up to the height of a, a man's waist, about there. When it's in flight, a two-meter wingspan. A stunning creature. And around about five o'clock each evening, this eagle would lift up off the rocks, would circle up in the air, and it would fly across that very view right over our heads. Now, I'm no David Attenborough, and I didn't get a picture of it. So just imagine, if you can, the effortless power and the glory of this two-meter wingspan droning across the lock, heading off to go hunting, I guess, every evening. A glorious sight, and I think a gift from the Lord as I sat there reading Isaiah 40 and these verses. Verse 31. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. What an amazing picture of the way the Supreme Lord offers to sustain his weary people. This picture of an eagle flying is not the first time the Bible has used that picture to describe the Lord sustaining his people on a journey. Back in Exodus, when God rescued his people out of Egypt and brought them through the desert to Mount Sinai, he says in Exodus 19 verse 4 that he had carried them on eagles' wings on that journey out of slavery to be with him. It wasn't an easy journey. The desert was hot. At times they were without water and hungry. And yet through the journey, the Lord was present with his people carrying them on eagles' wings to be with himself. And here in Isaiah 40, the Lord uses the same picture to reassure his people that when they come on a new exodus out of Babylon, he too will carry them home to be with them. He's big enough and strong enough. And for us today, he is with us now, carrying us on those same eagles' wings until we are home with him in the new creation. The journey may not be easy. There may be desert-like experiences at times, but there will be sustaining strength made available. It was a great help to us last year to have a verse of the year. It was Philippians 1.21. We have a new verse of the year at the start of January. I hope you have on your chairs this little postcard. This is our verse for the year. This is yours to take away to stick on your fridge or put on your desk or put in your Bible. It's from Isaiah 40, verse 30, it's this. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. As I finish, for us as a church locally here, it's been a really tough few years for all kinds of reasons. I wouldn't be surprised if a number of us do feel a sense of profound weariness, not in the kind of way which a good night's sleep fixes. It's bigger than that, deeper than that. We're exhausted as Christians. My prayer is that this coming year, as we live with this verse, and we come back to it again and again in a prayerful dependence, that we would discover a fresh, sustaining energy from our sovereign Lord. Would you pray? I do think also that this verse contains a warning for us. This coming year, if the Lord does 
bring about a level of recovery and increased energy, I just wonder if the danger for us is to become self-reliant and be busy and activist because we feel we have energy again. This verse will humble us this coming year that the way forward, the way on, it, the way of recovery can't be into self-reliance. It must be to stay humbly trusting in our sovereign Lord. Again, would you pray this coming year? It's a song we teach our children. But it's a song that is always true, no matter what our age or stage. As we set our hope on the Lord once again this year, may we discover afresh, my God is so great, so strong and so mighty, there is nothing he cannot do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these words of glory that describe your supremacy such that weary hearts might be encouraged. As we go from here in a moment and face a new day, a new week, help these words to land in our hearts with great comfort and with great joy. We are not on our own. We are carried on eagles' wings. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.